0: Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Hello, Jr. Hey, Doug. Good to be with you. Yeah, you too, man. It's uh, it's it's crazy to think we're we're in November. Like, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, man. In some ways, it feels like it's really slow,
1: and in some ways, it feels like it's going very quickly. But uh, you know, one of the segments we haven't been doing recently is what are you reading? So I'm curious, Doug, you know, what, what have you been reading lately that you know, whether it's been fun, mm. whether it's been formative, whether it's
0: been an escape. Uh, what, what are you reading these days? Yeah. There's There's been a few books in the rotation right now. I'm, I am slowly working through Eugene Peterson stuff again. Uh, some of that is, you know, even just thinking it's only been a few years since he's passed, but just so many good books. But one of the books that I've really been slowly working through is Sacred Companions by David G. Benner. Um, and it is basically this fantastic book that's been helping me understand a lot about the dynamics between spirit. Friendships and spiritual direction and things like that, um, but I've just really appreciated the way that he's framed um, spiritual direction around. It's really not about this. The, the spiritual director Ooh. is the Holy Spirit, and so allowing those relationships to that these are these relationships with with the triad. You know, myself, the directee, uh, and the Spirit working. And so I've just really enjoyed the book. Um, there's a lot to lot to learn. I'm, I'm kind of taking the deep dive in the spiritual direction world right now. So I've just been really appreciating that. Um, How about you? What have you been reading? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to just say that's really good framing that the Holy spirit is
1: our spiritual director. (laughs) Yeah. I think sometimes we get that mixed up. So um, yeah, that's a, that's great that you're reading that. Um, Yeah. I'm reading a handful of books right now. I'm reading a book um, that I think was recommended by Andy Crouch a long time ago. um, And it's taken me a long time to get through it. Uh, It's called uh, the sound of life's unspeakable beauty. And I'm only about halfway through it's by a German by the name of Martin Schletsky. And he is, uh, he he makes violins for a living. I mean, like some of the world's most expensive, most amazing violins, but he's an incredible spiritual thinker as well. And so he's using the metaphor of like finding the wood out in the woods to use the tools he uses as, and it's just, it was written in German and then someone translated it into English. And it may be one of the most beautiful books I've ever read in my huh, life. And really? instead of reading quickly, I'm slowing down because I'm just savoring every bite. It's, one, it's been one of the longest books it's taken me to get through. But he's a luthier. Right? A luthier is somebody that yep. you know makes violins. And so he's one of the greatest luthiers of our time. But he's also this amazing thinker. In terms of Christian theology, and he brings, he, and I'm not a musician, I don't play a violin, but the way he describes it with such poetic and articulate mm. language and then his Christian theology coming together, it's a beautiful book. So wow. I'm really, really enjoying that. The Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty, uh, which is fantastic. I'm a little bit late to the party. Everybody's been reading The Color of Compromise, uh, The Truth About the American Church's Complicity and Racism by Jamar Tisby. Hmm. Um, and that's uh, that's been good, taking that very slowly and very seriously. Uh, reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World by John Mark Comer. I know that you're a big John Mark Comer yep. fan and that you've enjoyed that book. So those are good. And then the other one I'm reading through, which I never read fiction... But I'm actually rereading a book that I haven't I haven't read it since high school. And in high school, I totally didn't get it. It went way over my head. Uh, but Brave New World by Aldous Ooh. Huxley. Wow. And just returning to that, just feeling like wow, we may be more brave New World y than I ever imagined. <laughs> and just kind of here's this guy I wrote in the late 30s. Huxley wrote this and Again, I thought he was on LSD Smoke and Crack when he wrote it. Okay? <laughs> In high school, I just didn't understand it and didn't realize how prophetic it would be and mm. how prescient of a book it would be. So anyway, just reading that again. And again, I never read fiction. So this is kind of a real change for me. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying that. So, Dang, deep dive um, back into high school. I love it. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, I'll get through it. I mean, there have been times I've tried fiction and then I just abandoned it. But but, uh, <laughs> but in the summer, I read Hemingway, which was great, and yeah. Steinbeck. So I'm yep. really hopefully this will be this will yeah. be uh, something I can complete all the way through. So yeah, um, you know, Doug, as we head into November here and head into the the more um, the winter months, you know, one of the things we've talked about for a while are just mental health issues. So just knowing that um, isolation um, you know, the division, the election, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all, all this is just heavy on people's minds and on pastors congregations. And so we're just very concerned about this. And so, you know, Doug, we've talked about this, um, for a while, but, um, an article that came out with Christianity Today, uh, a few, a handful of weeks ago, actually. Um, and, uh, the, this subject, it just says, I was a pastor's wife, suicide made me a pastor's widow. Mm-hmm. What I learned about mental health and ministry following my husband's tragic death. And so, um, I don't even, uh, I'm not even sure how to even fully pronounce her name, but Kayla uh, Stokline, Stokline mm-hmm. uh, is the author of that. And so, Anyway, she just talks about the horrific uh, story of her husband taking his own life. And so, you know, Doug, um, what would you want to say to just some, some <laughs> pastors that may be struggling with their own mental health or or even just
0: just thinking seriously about uh, some more significant uh, thoughts running through their head? Yeah, I, I think the first thing I want to say is you can't pray it away um, you need help. Like it's, you are, you are valuable enough, worthy enough, and you are, you are not not broken and counted out of ministry because you are struggling with a mental illness or because you're, you're depressed or because you have these things like this is, I mean, we've talked about it before Spurgeon. I mean, you know, he, what did he call it? The the fits, I think is what, yeah, the fits he named it, but there's, there's, you know, this is part of what it is to be, to be human, to deal with these emotions and to have these different things. So get help. Um, we, you know, uh, I mean, I've seen a counselor for years. I think it it is becoming much more, uh, not even just accepted, but encouraged for pastors to have counselors, spiritual directors, people that can, can pop the hood and even the importance of friends, like people who are just allowed, you know, that you allow into the space of, of your soul, but yeah, get uh, take it seriously. Like, get help, especially with the winter months coming up, and and to think about it, right? Like, this election happens, you know, in just a few days, and we are then we are then left with the turmoil uh, within our local congregations, and that adds, you know, more stress, more anxiety, more different thing, you know, more things to our own plates, and so we need to make sure that we're taking care of our own souls in the midst of these really trying times. And, you know, with the pandemic and all the different things that are happening, um, you and I continue to hear stories of pastors who are struggling pastors who are hurting pastors who feel like they don't know what to do. And so, yeah. And I think that's why I I really appreciate your heart, J.R., behind um, our conversation of saying, who should we reboot into, you know, uh, into, into our, our our interviews that we're having. And so yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about the interview today?
1: Yeah, yeah, Doug, I'm so so glad you had this idea. You know, here we are in season five, which is hard to believe. I feel like we just started this podcast and here we are season <laughs> five with so many great interviews in this treasure trove that we have of our archive list. And so one of the things that we want to do on this podcast from time to time is bring back an old interview that we've done. And by old, it doesn't mean outdated or stale. It means that we've done it in the past, but is as as relevant and as helpful today as when we recorded it. And this one may be even more important than when we originally recorded this. Um, and this is with our friend, Dave Eckert. And Dave is, um, he, he works as a pastor, but also in the mental health field. And Dave has been a valuable resource for you and I, Doug, over the years um, regarding mental health in the church and how do we navigate that. And so we're going to pull out of the archives, out of the treasure trove of our interviews, and we're going to visit with Dave on what are we to do in the midst of some heaviness and how do we stay healthy and help other people stay healthy in the midst of such a difficult time to hear. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with our friend, Dave Eckert.
0: Our guest this morning is Dave Eckert. On top of being one of the coolest guys that we know, he is a person of peace. Dave has a very unique bivocational calling of working in the mental health field and also the church. By day, he is the director of Intersect, which is an initiative within Access Services that supports those at the intersection of faith and mental illness through collaborations between faith communities and the mental health providers. By night, Dave serves as an associate pastor at Grace Community Church in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. He's an avid reader, one of the most patient people that I've ever met, and has a deep well of wisdom and compassion. It's my privilege to introduce to you our friend, Dave Eckert. Dave, welcome. We're really glad you could join us for this beautiful Monday morning here in the greater Philadelphia area. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Dave, it's really been fun, especially since our boys have played Little League
1: together and uh, we used to be like neighbors, two blocks away from each other uh, in this community. but. But one of the things that we love is the way in which you straddle two worlds that are really important. You are a pastor, but you also work in the mental health uh, services side of things. And so that's really important. And that's what we want to talk about today, mental health. How do we do that in terms of like cultivating that in our own lives here in these few minutes? And so, um, Dave, talk a little bit about just starting out your background in ministry and mental health. How did you sort of end up in that dual track with your vocation?
2: So basically, uh, in college, I studied both social work and biblical studies and then ended up at an organization called Access Services, where I basically worked in the adult mental health field for my entire career. For roughly that same amount of time, I've been serving as a pastor uh, at a church in the area. So basically, you learn a couple things when you're in those two worlds. One is that the mental health field doesn't do a great job at collaborating with the church, at paying attention to the spiritual dimension of people. And the church doesn't do a great job at always walking with people with mental health struggles. So out of living in those two worlds, Hmm. we launched this initiative called Intersect, where we're trying to support people at that intersection of faith and mental health, whether that means supporting church leaders and pastors or supporting mental health uh, directors and professionals. So that's sort of the background and what brings me to you know, what we're doing now.
1: Yeah. And you've done some trainings for area pastors to help pastors understand more about the mental health services that are even available, but you've also helped the mental health services side of things in terms of saying, Hey, spirituality is important. Be open to that, which has been so beautiful. Every time I'm with you, I hear something new that I just love the blending that you're doing in that. So um, we know that mental health is important as pastors, but we're going to talk more personally here. Why is this so important in the actual life and family of a pastor?
2: Well, I think there's there's both statistical and probably closer to home reasons why this is just an issue we need to consider. Statistically, LifeWay did some research not too long ago where it said it was a study on the church and mental illness. And it said 23% of pastors struggle with a mental illness, which is roughly the same percentage as the population in general. Mm. And this is something that's not new. I just got done a book called Spurgeon Sorrows. It was about Charles Spurgeon, you know, 19th century pastor. And it's all about him and his depression. And it's amazing to hear Spurgeon saying things about the challenge for himself and for Christians in relating to these issues back in the 1800s. And then just more personally, I mean, access, we get calls from pastors, we get calls from churches where while suicide and mental health aren't always exactly connected, uh, we've gotten calls from churches where a pastor has ended their life in addition to people in the church who've done so. And they're calling asking access for help. That's right. They'll call our mobile crisis program and say, could you help us know how to sort this out, how to respond? So when you just hear it in the news, you know, there's been pastors across the country we've been hearing about, talked to each of you guys about over the last year where you're just going, Something's happening here where for each of these pastors, they're even telling their congregations in some instances about their experience with depression or anxiety or another experience. Um, But ultimately getting to this place where it feels like there's no other options for them. So it just seems critical that we be talking about this.
1: Mm. Why now? Why, Uh, why, Why the sort of spike or peak?
2: That's a good question. I do think there is... There are things being written about an increase in mental health crises. Mm. One of the books, um, it's called iGen, that which is a book that's dealing with the i generation, which I think is kids born between 95 and 2012. But it's saying that you're having this increase in mental health crisis, which is often related to an increase in isolation, which is a little surprising. You know, we each have younger kids, probably in that iGen. Uh, the i generation, grown up with the iPhone, where they're really connected social media-wise, but studies are showing they're not as relationally connected. And I do think that relational connectedness is one of the important things for pastors to be doing, which I think both of you guys know, ironically, is one of the most difficult things for a pastor. So I feel like mm-hmm. as I was thinking about our conversation today, each of the things that I thought, this is probably good for a pastor to think about, I think well, it's actually good for everybody to think about, but really hard for a pastor. I've had multiple people in my church tell me, "This is just in one church. We're not that large." Say, when I'm depressed, the last thing I want to do is to be around people. But I realize when I go to when I go to small group, when I go to house church, when I go to whatever, I realize it's the thing I needed most. So doing the thing I. Least wanted to do, and the thing I needed most was essential when people are walking with depression. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys have touched on this in your mm-hmm. podcast—just mm-hmm. how difficult it is for pastors to say, "So am I going to be in relationship with my congregation? Are these, are any of these people allowed to be my friends? Am I supposed to just be in role?" I mean, I think didn't Christianity Today write an article about just the lonely pastor? So um, I think it's hard to come up with an exact why now, but I think those are some of the that rising. Um, isolation amongst just a lot of people in our community mm. hits pastors maybe even more than other people. Mm. Mm.
0: So as, I mean, I th- you definitely hit the nail on the head. I, I feel like many pastors that I've spoken with over the years really seem to to, to struggle in that, in that space to say, you know, I'm the pastor of the church and it's hard for me to feel like I can really share and relate with the people on a personal level. And so, yeah, the pastors seem to be lonely kind of people and so what what would you want to say to those pastors who are just feeling lonely like how would you encourage them and to to build relationships like where do you begin
2: yeah i mean i think it is it's great when you can have someone in your congregation who you resonate with who you connect with and you know like i, I have someone in my church where i meet with him every other week for lunch and he's just someone he's He's been around churches. He was an elder. He knows just how church life goes as a pastor. And I feel like I can be with him and talk to him. And that's really helpful to my own mental health. I think that's great when you can find that. However, I also think that this is where probably networks of leaders can be really helpful. And even for any of us, like how do we connect pastors we know who are struggling with other pastors we know who are struggling? That's good. That's good. Again, you get into what's hard for everybody, but really hard for pastors. There's already shame and stigma for everybody to bring this up. How much more, if you're the pastor and you're supposed to be the helper, are you now supposed to say, Hey, I need help, and now open up to someone about that? So, I've in my own church, these aren't pastors, but I've had multiple people come to me saying, Struggle with anxiety, struggle with depression. And I'm left in a place saying, Do you mind if I talk to this other person that I won't name? And I'll ask them if I can talk to you because it's like, we could connect a lot of people here if you're all okay with being connected. So I think if, if you're a pastor, who do you trust that's maybe in your congregation, maybe on your other board, but maybe another pastor who you just say, hey, if there's anybody else experiencing this, please let them know that mm-hmm. the mental health system has figured out the importance of what's called peer support. So you have actually peer support professionals, people who are trained to say, how can I, out of my own lived experience, help another person? with a lived experience. They're not professionals, they're just like, hey, I can tell you what's worked for me. So I think it's crucial for pastors to help other pastors connect with like, hey, I know multiple pastors struggling, how can I help them connect? I think that, that could be a really helpful thing that in some ways mirrors really valuable things happening in our mental health system that could be happening in the church,
1: yeah, that's great. How about for some of those pastors who are listening? I mean, we've talked, uh, you know, about suicide. We've talked about depression. You mentioned anxiety. What do we do with those? If for those of us who are struggling, we might say, I don't know if this is just the blues. Yeah. If I'm just down a little bit, it's kind of just a hard season or yeah, I'm worried, but I, I don't know if it's like anxiety, mm-hmm. but I find myself worrying more than I have. At what point is it healthy for a pastor to say, I need to probably seek out some help, even yeah. just for assessment or diagnosis? Yeah. What would you say to that? So I
2: think a few things to consider for that. One is Anybody could start just saying, I want to learn, like, I'm going to read about this experience. I'm not recommending the book I'm about to say, but it's an example of there's a book called Monkey Mind, which is about just a guy's memoir of living with anxiety. And you read that, and some people have talked about reading it and being like, okay, I'm really dealing with anxiety, that I'm showing up in this person's story. So, in some ways, more than just saying, uh, I mean, you could look at the internet and say, what are the you know what are the different symptoms symptoms of anxiety and it'll run through the bullet points but sometimes reading memoirs like that can really be helpful just saying okay I need to be taking another step I think if you found those trusted people and this doesn't have to be even a mental health professional but someone you trust that you can talk to about your experience they might be able to just say hey there's something here that's not right like whether you have depression or anxiety the most dangerous place is just you and your mind by itself hmm. going around in, in circles. I mean, thus the, the term monkey mind, which is kind of an ancient term used for that experience. So having someone else be able to speak into that experience, if you're in a place where you go, you know, I think I might need help, but I don't know who I can talk to about this. But to go back to the whole mobile crisis program I talked to you about, we've had pastors call that number, sometimes for themselves, sometimes for family members, and they've actually said, and I've gotten calls from workers, this pastor doesn't want other people to know about this family member having this experience, but they're not sure what services out there could help them that will keep it confidential. So a couple of different thoughts. There's a number you could call if you Google, and I know we'll put it in the show notes, um, the Lighthouse Network. That is a network of mental health professionals where they will let you know of the different faith-based inpatient, outpatient counseling resources, and that's a national support. So that's one place you can go. I I called there not too long ago about a person I know, and they also pointed me to focus on the family, who mm-hmm. also provides just national phone call, and mm-hmm. they say at the start, this is totally confidential. So I think those are some safe places you could go. Mm-hmm. Now, now, we're in the Philly area. I know not all your listeners are Philly-based, but- Um, Diane Langberg and Associates is a counseling center that gives specific attention to pastors and walking with pastors. That's another number you could call if you're not Philly-based. My guess is since they do national work, they could let you know about some other counselors that you can just go to and tell your story and and it'll be a little bit more safe and normalized
1: yeah they're wonderful in fact uh, in my DMIN program what several pastors actually utilize their services and are incredibly grateful for for what she offers I'm so glad you brought up Spurgeon too I mean Doug and I have talked a lot about Spurgeon Spurgeon's my homeboy and (laughs) in many ways I've got a poster of him in my office and Doug's hooked me up with some Spurgeon stuff and yeah I think he called him fainting fits so he didn't have a word depression for him but fainting fits and Mm -hmm. so I'm so glad you brought that up and he pushed through through, even through all that still preaching through those bouts and I, I do think we see him as the prince of preachers and his sermons but but his adversity and his willingness to speak openly about yeah. that is
2: really admirable. Some ways he was ahead of his time. Yes,
1: yes. even then, Not even having a word to describe it. So right. fainting fits being how he would describe what that was in all his right. own journey. What would you say to people when they say well, you know especially pastors I'm just unspiritual. I don't have enough faith. <laughs> if I yeah. just prayed more, worked harder, was a better pastor, I wouldn't be struggling, I'd be more joyful. Uh, how would yeah. you How would you speak to a pastor who might say that?
2: Yeah. There's a few things that could be said about it. And one of them is, I think if you just read the Psalms and you read Psalm, one, <laughs> read Psalm 13. Read the Bible, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's just my I um, Psalm 13, you know, mm. how long, O Lord? E- even pressing it further, Psalm 88, darkness is my closest friend. Drop the mic. Psalm ends. Mm. These are prayers and songs of worship. I don't think these are examples of people who are in, a, who are necessarily in a bad place spiritually, though they are in a dark place, emotionally. So I would mm. want to say that's at least a starting point to say that I don't think yeah. there's biblical grounds for those sorts of emotional struggles being something that has to mean there's a sin issue present mm. with that. Right?
0: Because I, I my sense is there's theological framework. In different, some of us in different denominations or backgrounds, where it's almost like we can't even allow ourselves to recognize that there is a mental illness or mm-hmm. yeah, if I just pray more or if I just ask the Lord or we'll just pray that this will be gone. and Which totally helps, doesn't it? Isn't it oh, so yeah. full of grace? If yeah. I just
1: blank more, right? It's just yeah. heaping all sorts of shame and pressure on ourselves as if it's all up to us too,
0: right? We have a part to play, but I've got to get myself out of right. this problem. Right. And it's so easy to do. Yeah. And so even thinking, you know, uh, my sense is how do we even I feel like having an understanding of of, of the Psalms in that way and, and I, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said it in a way where uh, the person is not this is not that they're they're in a they're they're spiritually unhealthy, they're just in a dark place. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that just seems so foreign. To, to mm-hmm. even my own thinking, how, how do we begin to develop that? How do we develop mm-hmm. safety for that even within our worship? Like that just seems so far from the concept of worship. Yeah. And I don't know, any thoughts I, on-
2: You know, I, I remember there's a book by Michael Card. Um, I'm forgetting it now. Um, might be The Sacred Sorrow. Oh, but he's, yeah. he's dealing in that with worship as lament. Mm. And he, t- he just goes through different biblical examples, David, Jeremiah, Jesus, Paul, and how they were bringing everything mm. to God. And that's always, you know, struck with, stuck with me, mm. that worship isn't just the absence of those dark times. Worship is when you decide to bring those dark times to God, because you're bringing everything to God. I also think there can be a problem here with like either or thinking where people assume it's got to be either, this has nothing to do with the spiritual dimension of my life, or it has everything to do and only has everything to do with the spiritual dimension of my life. I remember one time in my church, I was preaching on the issue of scripture, memorization and meditation. And I asked a guy in my church to come up and share his story, thinking he was mainly gonna talk about that piece. But to bring up his experience with that, what he did is told his, of his own experience with depression. And he said, my wife will tell you that every day I need medication and scripture memorization. Mm. Because he said, medication helps me just get to work, you know, get out of bed, but it doesn't give me hope. But having scripture that I've memorized and can meditate on throughout the day gives me hope, purpose, meaning, direction, things that just the best med is not going to get you. So both and
1: rather than either or. That's really good.
2: Yeah. I really think it's, that's something that just a lot of us struggle with in the church, but I think can be really. I I don't think as opposed, you know, even in our scriptures, Paul giving advice to Timothy around. Uh, I'm I'm not encouraging um, underage drinking on our on our podcast here, but just I was this to <laughs> you a youth group the first. other day, but <laughs> just trying to say like, hey, you know, even scripture, Paul's not saying, oh, you're not feeling well. This is only a prayer issue. This is mm. only a faith issue. It's. Take a little wine for your stomach.
1: Oh, a good so point. I
2: do think there's places where if 100% of Christians have bodies and if we're embodied image bearers and that's what we're called to be, then it makes sense that sometimes there's going to be physical things are important like rest mm. and exercise. And that doesn't mean you also don't need scripture and prayer and to remember that God is more powerful than any of these experiences of depression and anxiety. Mm. Uh, And
1: speaking of memorization, I think many of us have heard enough or probably memorized most parts of the 23rd Psalm. Mm. And that one line that we skim over so quickly because it looks so good on a Hallmark card. But, (laughs) you know, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and that preposition through has always stuck with me. It's not, uh, even though you airlift me to the other side of the valley of the shadow of death, Mm -hmm. no, I'm still going through it. So the guarantee isn't that I won't have these dark moments, but that your presence won't be apart from me Mm -hmm. while I go through the dark moments. And that's been encouraging to me when I'm feeling down or discouraged or in those darker places of going, man, I, I shouldn't be surprised to have these but even if god feels distant he's he promises to still be there even if i don't feel him or sense his presence so that little preposition through has been incredibly encouraging to me in the 23rd psalm. talked about some of the practices. Go a little bit deeper. Let's get ridiculously practical and specific Mm -hmm. here. So you mentioned a little bit about the physical dimension. So thinking, what are some practices pastors could do that would help them uh, just exercise their mental health muscle, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, whatever direction you want to take it. But if there are pastors listening going, I want to actually really be healthy in all dimensions, Mm -hmm. but on the mental side, what can they start to live out in really ridiculously practical ways?
2: One of the things you guys have touched on in your podcast has been the importance of Sabbath. And I do think, I mean, Spurgeon talks about in that book of the importance of just retreat. He was told, (laughs) forced to take retreats where he would just go away. So I do think being able to rest is really important. Now, for some people, I might give the advice of, you need to do some work and service as well in order for it not to just be totally focused on you. Some people have said, hey, man, the mental health system's focused a lot on employment because getting people work has become a really important piece of their own recovery. So it's, again, that's not an either or, but it's it's that appropriate balance of work and rest. Mm-hmm. I've already mentioned medication is one thing. I think being able to to just exercise. You know, that whole thing that the mental health system is focused on right now, integrated health, that started out as an idea that said, you know, our mental health and our physical health are often related. So they would pick up on the idea that if you're depressed, you're much less likely to want to exercise. And at the same time, if you're not exercising and you're really unhealthy uh, or you're not getting rest over time, that really does some damage to your mental health. So I think part of the conversation we've been having in the mental health system is, yes, and spiritual health is part of integrated health as well. You know, I have known of pastors who've been in some dark places during times of of, uh, doubt, where their faith journey has been in a really dark place because they think, who can I talk to about my doubts? Like I get the fact that I preach you know, Jude, be merciful to those who doubt. But that's not supposed to extend to the pastor. <laughs> right. So who am I supposed to talk to about my doubts? That's not to say anytime you experience depression or anxiety, it's because of a spiritual problem or sin. It's just to say that because we are whole beings with all of those elements, it can be the case that sometimes pastors who are going through just some spiritual struggles might not have people to talk to. And that could be a trigger for some of their, their struggles with their mental health. So I think those are a few things to do as well as just meeting with somebody else practically. And, um, I think there's something that, I don't know if you want to talk about operationalizing some of this or if you want yeah, to learn, sure. learn on that, yes. but a yeah, that maybe we can also let people know about is what's called a wrap plan, a wellness and recovery action plan. This comes out of, I think it's called the Copeland center up in, um, New England, and it's just a way of putting into practice in a very individualized way some of the things we've been talking about. So they would say, "You should have a wellness toolbox. Like, what are what is anything that just puts you in a good mental space?" And so, what are, you, are some examples of that? I mean, some people say things like, "I need to just have time with my kids. Mm. I need to run. I need to play guitar or piano. So I things that give to you life. Read anything that gives you life. Okay. I mean, in some ways." There could be some traditional things like meet with my psychiatrist to talk about my meds, uh, meet with a therapist who can help give me tools to understand how do I work out my anxiety? Like, how do I think about past experiences? How do I you know, get more information, what they call psychoeducation? All that's really good, too, but it doesn't have to be limited to that hmm. for it to be a benefit to your own mental health. So all those things could be put into your wellness toolbox. The next step would be a daily maintenance plan, which says all those things are good. What is it that you need to be doing as a daily part of your, you know, a daily habit and say like, when I wake up in the morning, I I, I need to be in scripture. I wake up. I need to be in prayer. When I wake up, I need some time to go for a walk. I need time to exercise It, it. It really could be whatever makes sense for you that you say these daily habits are crucial. However, Even the best daily rhythm could be something where you could still be triggered. Um, We were talking earlier just off air about Andrew Stokeland, who's a California pastor, whose wife recently came out and he he, he died by suicide uh, last year. And his wife recently came out. And if you Google it, there's an interview, I think you said you might have seen it, Doug, where she talks about doing all the right things. He was even preaching, publicly talking about his own experiences of depression and anxiety. But the Thursday after he preached, something triggered him. And by Friday, he had ended his life. That's where, what are those triggers? And it could be anything. Maybe it's something someone says. Maybe it's something that's just a stressor. Maybe you've experienced trauma and and a reminder of trauma. I mean, how much are we seeing in the Catholic Church, the Southern Baptist Church, you know, I'm sure that there are pastors impacted by that too. How could a trauma be uh, a trigger to you? Name those triggers on that plan so that you know for the final part, which is a crisis plan or a bad days plan to normalize it. When you're in a bad day, when the triggers hit you and you say, I got to do something because I'm going to a dark place. And I know when I'm in that dark place, my thinking is really compromised. Mm. What do I do then? Who do I talk to? You know, in our mobile crisis program, we have um, – they put together crisis plans for everybody who comes through and gets help, saying, "Okay, next time, how do you manage crisis better over time? Today was tough, but next time, what are you going to do when a trigger hits? Who are you going to call?" You know, some people say, "I just need like to play music." Some people say, "I need to call my best friend." Some people say, "I need to talk to my pastor." You know, what are those things that you sense when things get bad? Mm. I need to do this. I think those four things are a way to operationalize and individualize
1: yeah, a great. lot of the stuff we've talked about. So it's the, is the goal to try to formalize and operationalize it when in my clearer mentally, yes. my mentally clear moments so that when it's not so clear,
0: I've written down a plan already and say, just work the plan. Exactly. Is that the goal?
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: really good. And so with that, I mean, are these plans that are shared with other people as well? Like, would you encourage pastors to say like, Hey, give this plan to, you know, one person, two persons.
2: I do think that's a good idea. I, a lot of times where I'm trying to walk with people, I find myself quoting back to them things they've said to me. Wow. Like recently was talking to someone who's a pretty dark place with his depression and just really not moving towards people. And I had kind of quoted him back to himself. Right? I just remember you saying when you're in this place, mm. it's really important to be around people even though it's the last thing you want to do. And so the the sheer fact of whether it's reading that plan or having or telling other people, this is what I need. I need you to remind me of what I need. Here's what I need you to do to even take some steps to bring other people in, mm. maybe beyond just you and me. Um, so I think that's a great point, Doug, is just having other people aware who you can trust of. This is what it looks like when I'm having a bad day and here's what I need, or here's what it looks like for me to, I need to meet with you regularly. I need you to ask me some questions each time we meet because that's, you know, just something for my good days to stay in a good place yeah. that I could use. Mm. Well, we've
1: heard as far as practical things, practicing Sabbath exercise, which I would totally affirm. I mean, I'll tell you that I think physical benefit is number four on the list for me. It's like spiritual, mental, emotional, then spirit, and then physical when I go work out. So I would totally affirm that three medication and four community, like making sure we have that in addition to a wrap plan, number five Mm -hmm. uh, on that. That's great. Are there other resources? We'll put them in the show notes, but what are some healthy resources that we can have available for pastors and maybe wondering about their own mental health and how they can feel supported?
2: Well, certainly, um, In in the Intersect Initiative we have at Access, we would want to be somebody that could be a connector for you. So, again, we can have that in the show notes. But if you just check out our website or my contact information is there. Yeah, give us um, the website there. Yeah, it's accessservices.org. And uh, if you just backslash intersect, uh, there's information that we'll have there, just resources for you to think about. That's always growing. And also... I would just love to be able to connect to you. You know, we're involved in conversations with different people in the country who are involved with um, this area of mental health and the church. And if we're not the best people to help you, we know other people who do. So feel free to to give us a call. Um, one resource that um, the name of the ministry is is not coming to mind right now, but there's a guy named Matt Stanford who wrote a book called Grace for the Afflicted, and Matt Stanford's uh, serving out of Texas, but he has a ministry also that is trying to help the church around its response to mental health struggles. Certainly, depending on where you're coming from, um, CCEF, uh, Christian Counseling Education Foundation, also has a lot of different resources there. Uh, for people and is also a counseling service in addition to the education that they have. So those are, in addition to the Lighthouse Network that I mentioned earlier in Focus, those are some different places where I feel like if you call, if we're not the best resource, we'll connect you to the people that would be. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time. And I, I just sense that there's a big sigh after a conversation like this because So many times this is not talked about for pastors, or we never feel like there's a safe space to actually begin the conversation. And so I really appreciate the time. And uh, we're also really looking forward to other conversations that we're gonna have with you. So thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Wow, Jerry, that was such an important conversation for pastors. Yeah, I mean, Dave
1: has shared little bits and pieces of that before, but I think just having very direct conversation together and to share that with other pastors was so crucial. I think what sticks out to me is the idea of integrated faith. Mm. And I love that adjective, integrated, of, I mean, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, uh, and even how Dave addressed the, the stigma that's often behind that and being able to talk through that. So... I just so appreciated that. And obviously that he talked about Spurgeon, my homeboy, that I did not
0: pay him <laughs> to know, do I that. I kind can of uh... excited. I could sort of see you perk up a bit. <laughs> oh, Spurgeon. What's that got to you? Like a dog
1: on a bone. What's that got to you by what Dave said? I
0: really appreciated the story about the gentleman in his church that talked about medication and scripture. Yeah. I I just find that so Medication helpful. and meditation. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. There's something that I sense is just really, I, my prayer is that it really can continues to change and, and pastors who are struggling with mental with of mental illness stuff would recognize that yeah, medication doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that you don't trust God. It doesn't mean that you are a second class citizen. It just means that there's an imbalance that this can help you to be clear in your thinking. And I just found that so encouraging. Yeah. And I, I've seen you've probably
1: interacted too with folks that say it's all medication, no faith. Right on one end of the spectrum, or just pray more, and well, that's just a a a secular thing, and you don't need medication. You just need it's all spiritual. And I'm so glad Dave talked about the importance. Yeah, finding both, but it's hard to deal with people on both ends of those spectrums uh, of the spectrum and saying no, no, no. Both are can be great gifts from God. Great, uh, great gifts from God. And so, yeah, I'm so excited about this. Of the the uh, resources or the practices that he mentioned, Sabbath, exercise, medication, community, and then the RAP plan. Mm. Any one of those you found uh, helpful or
0: um, I, things I actually, you practiced? I feel like I definitely want to write my own RAP plan. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I am someone who actually is diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. And so that was a recent diagnosis. And so there are certain triggers that I've experienced and just having that freedom to write a plan. And for me, it's like, I want to give it to my wife. Cause there's times when I'm like, something's wrong, but I'm not really sure how to address this. Mm. And just in those, in the clear thinking days, just say, Oh, this is what I need. And for me, it's, I just need, man, I just need cuddles. Like I just need someone to just put their arm around me It's gonna be okay. You're fine. Mm. Everything's good, and so I think that's one of the things that I just found really helpful in that moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's
0: great. Well, this conversation was so good that we want Dave to come back, and so we're
1: gonna have another conversation with him. But we're gonna not be uh, personal. But what are we gonna do in this? uh, I'm really excited
0: to talk about a little bit of a broader scope about talking about the church and mental illness and how do we as a community of faith communities really love people well. What challenges does it bring? How do we stand in, in the tension where we either run away or we or we just everything goes, and what do we do with that? So I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with Dave here uh, on our next episode about that. What is what is the response of the church? How can we be more? Uh, I mean, if if 23 percent, mm. one in four, one in five of the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis has lived mental health. Stuff, mm-hmm. then we must be better equipped to figuring out ways that we can care for, support, and love those who are struggling in those areas.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, looking forward to our next episode. But uh, uh, pastors uh, listening out there, we hope you have a wonderful week. Strive towards health and remember that your identity is not found in what you do or how well you do it, but in who you are and, more importantly, to whom you belong. Have a great week. Amen.